Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. And do you want to do long distance ocean swimming in icy waters? Well, there are a bunch of people out there who do. Ram Barkai is the founder of the International Ice Swimming Association, and they are all about swimming in water less than five degrees Celsius. Ram has swum many of the world's toughest swims, including in Antarctica, and holds multiple world records. And with the International Ice Swimming Association, has introduced the Ice Mile as its signature event. And the Ice Mile is one mile swum in water of five degrees Celsius or less, only wearing a pair of goggles, a cap, and standard swimming cozies. In 2014, they introduced a one kilometer ice event, and Ram's ambition is to have ice swimming, possibly the one kilometer event, introduced to the Winter Olympics, possibly as soon as 2022. I had a fascinating and very entertaining chat with Ram, so I've left this podcast quite long. I started by asking him what possessed him to want to swim in ice. I think when I look at my life, you know, some people at the age of six want to be a pilot or a doctor, and I'm at the age of 60, and I'm still wondering, what do I want to be when I grow up, you know? So the benefit of that is it, the life is your oyster, you know, because yep. you have no, you don't have to do anything, you're not stuck on anything, and you adapt. So I, I, I grew up in the Sea of Galilee, below sea level, in a very hot environment. Uh, I always liked water, but never liked cold water. Uh, never been really exposed to cold water, because if I go home now, in the winter, the water temperature is between 16 to 17, which is a very nice warm temperature nowadays in Cape Town. Yep. Um, we would never get into the water. So when I, um, when I came back to Cape Town in 1996, I think, because I've been here for a long time, and I started swimming properly, I realized that I have, basically, if I want to swim in the open water, it's the sea. We have very little, very few dams. We have a lot of sea. And the sea is big, rough and cold. So I think after a few, few attempts uh, that nearly broke me, but I do have a strong mind, I decided I've, I've got to understand that call. <laughs> Fascinates me. Because I'd look around and I see other people doing it. And I love perspective because the best thing to do is look around and you look at people that look like, well, I don't know if they can swim 100 meter. And you chat to them and say, no, 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 I did the English Channel yesterday and I did this and this. And, okay, well, it gives you perspective and, and tells you, well, it's definitely possible. And the question was how. So basically, I adapted. You know, there's nothing. Uh, my first step was just to adapt because I like the ocean. I live by the ocean all my life. Um, it's my preferred medium. 
ocean definitely much better than land. So, and yeah. then I started with some mates, a few of us that, you know, swimming together, how cold can we go? And then I think I read Lynn Cox's book about swimming to Antarctica and all the cold swims. And although she's bigger than me, uh, I'm quite skinny for a cold water swimmer. I realize that a lot of this is in your mind. There's obviously you have to be fit and, and certain body fat and physics, whatever. But at the end of the day, um, cold is very, very mental thing. So the minute something becomes a mental challenge, that's my game. You know, I love mental challenges. Um, And I love it when people say you mustn't do it or you shouldn't do it or you can't do it. Because my first question is why? (laughs) My next question is why not? (laughs) And my my third question is, well, let's give it a go. So I'm very calculated when it comes to risk and very scientific. I studied science. But, um, yeah, and then an opportunity came in 2008 to go to Antarctica. um, And I asked them, do you mind if I swim there? And interestingly enough, they were very keen. They were adventurers. They just started this. Um, tourism to Antarctica, expedition tourism. And there suddenly I ended up in Antarctica and I swam there. Uh, I was shit scared when I swam there. I had no no one to <laughs> refer to in terms of what can happen to me. Bear in mind that the three guys that looked after me, they're all like top-notch polar explorer who's been to the South Pole, North Pole, Greenland a few times, hardcore. But when it came to me getting, taking my kit off and diving into the water of zero degree with my speed on swimming, they all looked at each other and said, Ram, what, what are we going to do if something happens to you and you're like 500 meters into the sea? I mean, you realize we can't get in and get you out. This is really not what we do. Um, <laughs> and the closest hospital is no, a few no, tens no, of the, thousands the of kilometers away. The closest hospital is a half a million dollars, you know, um, which takes two days of yep. uh, medical evacuation. Uh, the reality is that we all knew that if anything goes wrong, we're here. We have to sort it out here. Uh, we had to hike with crampons in the ice for an hour and a half just to get to where I swam. So just imagine, it was very difficult to get information aside from it's a very personal thing, be very careful, we don't really recommend it, okay? Which is all the things that you mustn't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you mustn't tell me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. everything was exactly. motivating for you. And the author of things that I trained before Antarctica, uh, I swam in the cold here every day. I started swimming without a swimming cap, even at 9, 10 degrees, just get in, bite the bullet for the first five minutes with ice cream headache until I got used to it and um, start pushing distances in very cold water here. Not marathon distances, but, you know, to swim eight kilometers in 11 degree without a swimming cap was a challenge 
and that that's the tradition isn't it not to wear um not to wear anything but for speedos yes. and goggles and you know sw swimming caps no, optional. Swim, well, swim, it's, look everything is optional uh you can take everything off but you can't <laughs> put anything on aside from you know standard speedo <laughs> that's right there are maximum, maximum requirements, requirements. Right. so training without a swimming yeah. cap is quite an interesting uh experience because there's a lot of blood vessels and nerves on the, on your skull, so you feel the cold uh, very, very, um, um, so it's very intense sensation. But it's very interesting because it's close to your brain and you kind of train your brain to deal with these things because every time you jump into ice, the brain register trauma. You know, if, if you look inside my brain and you see all the little people, they're running around screaming, uh, hit the red button, trauma, trauma, the whole body goes into a trauma mode. So the more you train, your brain uh, says, oh, I've seen this trauma before. I've seen it actually a few times. That's what we did. That's what we should do. So the body doesn't go into a panic mode and you can start breathing properly and the muscle relax. I've done a lot of training. And a lot of research, there's a huge amount of information nowadays. I mean, one of the reasons I started uh, the International Ice Swimming Association was because I wanted to share the information rather than to, to become another superhero that does stupid things. I, I, I thought, ooh, there's a lot of people I know that can do it if they really apply their mind to it. And there's a lot to learn. But in Antarctica... Everyone around me knew nothing, including the doctor, about what I'm going to do. They only knew that if anything goes wrong, they need to pull me out and make sure I don't die. So we ended up tying a rope to my waist of like 30 meter rope. And Inga, the, the Norwegian polar guide, walked side of the lake with a, and I had to swim with this rope dragging behind me. So in case I pass out or something, they kind of reel me in and um, warm me up. In hindsight, it wasn't a difficult swim. I've done many more difficult swims since then. But as swimming, knowing that no one really around you know what you're doing, you're not sure exactly what you're getting into, it was quite a scary experience. Needless to say, I loved it. I can, well, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I can imagine, but I'm not sure I can imagine. I mean, that's so. It, it, in terms of the the training, then, so there's obviously the mental aspect and getting physically prepared, but um, the the water is still literally trying to freeze your blood. There's a point where you can't train for that. If you spend too long in there, your body temperature is going to drop. How how do you fight? that is what what's the sort of upper limit on how far you can swim so you're 100 right a lot of people a lot of people come to me and say so you don't feel the cold anymore ram doesn't feel the cold yeah they have the image of me um you know with a big minus 20 uh deep freeze for a bedroom and i go there like a polar bear and just yeah. lie on a block of ice and fall asleep okay so um as heroic as it sounds i do feel the cold I do like my warm bed and a, and a warm fire when, when I can. Um, the reality is that it doesn't matter what you do. Your core body temperature, when you recover, goes back to normal. Um, there's no proof 
that people that live in the ice have a lower body temperature than normal. They can operate with a lower body temperature for a much longer time because the body adapt to to the body adapt basically, you know. Uh, but you but it's always cold. Yep. It's always cold to get into the water. It's always hard to get into the water. I am not a great advocate of overtraining in ice for the ice because it is an extreme environment. Um, it's not like running where uh, or cycling where you can train to an extent that you can basically run all day, every day at a certain speed and and just rest a little bit and pick it up. The cold's going to kill you. It's as simple as that. It's just a matter of time. Uh, whatever, conservation. It's entropy. You're losing heat to the water and at some stage you freeze and that's it. So your ability to sustain these temperatures is limited as a, as a human. Um, you can be there for 10 minutes, maybe even to an hour. It's been done before. Uh, you're pushing your luck Anything above 30 minutes, you're starting to get into uh, a danger territory. Um, and that's where your physics starting to play a big role, obviously. If you do have uh, body fat or significant body fat, it does allow you to stay a little bit longer. Not much longer, but a little bit longer. Um, if you have the ability, I think my strength is... is inability to generate heat rather than body fat. So as long as I swim, I can, my body can generate heat for long enough for me to take that cold. Otherwise, it's, it, it is a very extreme and raw sport, as you said. You mustn't train in zero to swim in zero. You, you, can, you should very comfortably train in 9, 10 degrees, 12 degrees to swim in zero. You need to get exposure to colder temperatures for short periods before that, just for your body to understand um, how to survive that and for you to learn how to swim in these temperatures because the ice basically freezes your, basically everything from toe, from head to toe. You still need to cover distance. You still need to swim. Yep. So that's... Um, for me, um, I focus when I, when I um, tell people about training and preparing yourself for the ice, I focus on that much more than let's see how long you can sit in an ice bath. Um, that's a very different yep. sport, if you can call it sport, to swim, to cover distance because your muscles basically freeze. Uh, you stroke, you can't feel your hands. You can't feel the water. You are frozen. Uh, there is significantly less oxygen in your blood because of that. Um, and you need to be able to swim and have a proper stroke. Otherwise, you're not going to cover distance. And if you race, for example, or you want to do a mile, you want to do it in a good time. Because the longer you spend, the less chance you have to actually finish it. So this, this for me, this is a huge area of learning, how to swim in cold water, how to swim in icy water, all the things that happens to you 
not 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 to fight the cold, but to understand what the ice does to you, and to learn how to um, swim in these extreme conditions. That's what I was thinking just then. Is it, is there a more efficient stroke in ice swimming than there is in the pool? Like, uh, are you better off doing backstroke or something? I'm making that up, but like, is there a different? Do you swim differently to cover the distance in the ice because you simply can't feel your hands and it's more efficient to swim a different way? Is it a different sport, do you think, than than pool swimming? Or is, do you still try to swim the same way? Look, swimming, swimming, we all swim, we mostly swim freestyle, especially when we do distance. It's the most efficient stroke. And at the end of the day, it is swimming. I come from, a, like you, I come from an open water swimming background. It is open water swimming. Um there's no specific different strokes or different tricks. However, the ice um, has some effect on your body. And if you're not aware of that, you will not be able to swim or you will swim very slowly. So um, one of the things, there are many things that happens. Obviously breathing, your breathing is tight. So you have to learn how to to relax yourself enough so you can breathe normally because if you can't breathe properly, you know that as a swimmer, if you can't breathe in the water, you get out or you go under. It's, it's as simple as that. So you have to learn how to relax and breathe and it takes time. You can't just jump like you do in the pool and sprint. Um, if you start too fast, you won't be able to recover from that. Unlike warm water, where if you start too fast and you get tight, you can release, open your lungs later on in the ice. Once your lungs close, you won't be able to open them. It's over. So um, breathing is very, very important. Just to learn how to relax and breathe and slowly open up um, and breathe. The other thing, um, your extremities basically... uh, loses blood flow very quickly. The temperature drops to the environment temperature. So uh, although your core temperature can drop to 35, 34, below, your hands can easily be at 10 degrees uh, because there's no more warm blood going into the hands and they're starting to equate the temperature of the environment. So when you swim, you have to pull water um, because your muscles uh, freezes and you have no sensation of the water in your fingers or whatever because it's frozen. You've got to be. You have to think about your stroke all the time. Make sure that you hand enter the waters correctly and you pull. Mistake that a lot of people do because they don't feel is that they slide the hand, so the stroke looks perfect but they slide the hand or they don't pull enough. So they look like they've got a great stroke, but they're moving very slowly because they actually just, they're stroking the water. They're not pulling through. Yeah. You're getting no feedback from the water at all. None of those little micro adjustments you'd be making. Yeah, exactly. So you have to think about it all the time. You have to be, um, obviously the more keen swimmer, professional swimmer, these kind of things are almost reflexes. 
So the good swimmer always will be a good swimmer in the ice as well because they don't even think about this. You know, they, they've been doing this all their life. It's almost like a reflex. But you have to, you have to be aware of that. Um, other things that happens is that um, your legs, uh, your leg muscles get less blood and your legs are very heavy. It's a very heavy part of your body. So the legs start sinking. And your, your position in the water is not efficient, uh, which slows you down a lot. So you have to be aware. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to kick hard, but you have to be aware all the time that if you don't think about it or worry about this, you compromise your position in the water. So you need to activate your core. You, you need to pull your legs up and you need to make sure that you have a even if it's a two-bit kick, you know, to just make sure that you break surface. Um, I always kick yep. and think, okay, I broke surface. That means that at least my legs are at the water level. Now I need to make sure that my core is not sinking and I'm not concaving into the into the water. So that, that happens a lot. People stop kicking. Uh, you see it specifically after people have been in the ice for a while that – they, you know, they, they kind of like at 30 degrees, they're moving at 30 degrees. So basic trigonometry, they have a lot of resistance. Um, other thing that happens is um, your arm muscles start to freeze. So um, you are very stiff. Therefore, your stroke is get shorter and... Um, and you're not rotating enough. Um, yeah. So what I always tell people that when you get tired, all the time think about long stroke, lengthen. Doesn't matter how cold you get, and you wanna, you want to contract. So do the opposite, expand. The colder you are, make sure that you have a long stroke and a good pull because your stroke will shorten significantly because your whole arm is like. Your body is tight. You have to think about yep. it. Um, then there are all sorts of funny things that happens. Um, you know, your muscles, uh, your mouth muscles and your tongue uh, freeze, basically. Um, you yeah, know, imagine you, you don't want to drink water or get water in your goggles because you know, <laughs> it would well, be you, bad. You do drink water, not so much in your goggles, but you do drink water because what happens is that when... That happens also in a, in a long swim. When you get tired, your mouth muscles that very efficiently for a swimmer know when to get air in and when to get air out without drinking water. Your, your facial muscles and your tongue freezes, literally. Yep. Um, wow. And I feel it when I suddenly swim and I feel like, oh, every time I take a breath, some water comes in. Uh, and I know that, okay, I'm getting tired. My My... My facial muscles that con that control the breathing in the water when I swim are not working very well. So I need to you need to start breathing higher. Otherwise, you're going to start drinking water. Uh, yeah. So you know you breathe higher. You basically breathe through the shoulder more if you can, or or be aware of that. Um, a lot of other things happens. You know your tongue freeze happens to me before that. Your tongue basically gets your tongue is in the ice in the water 
uh, it freezes. So when you breathe, your tongue falls. You know, it doesn't have the power to stay where it should be. So you can bite your tongue sometimes. Oh. You don't feel anything, so it's fine. Yes, you don't feel anything. But it does hurt. Yeah, it hurt when you get out. <laughs> but it does hurt later on. <laughs> um, don't worry, you don't bite, you don't, you, don't, you don't basically cut your tongue off. But you, it, it can happen you that could. you come out and you feel that, um, oh, uh, yeah. As you start to warm uh, up. I think it happened to me in Murmansk when I start foaming blood after the swim and everyone panicked. Then I put my finger in my mouth. I said, oh, this is really sore there, the bottom left of my tongue. And I, you know, a lot of people, when they come out of cold water, they can't talk or they have this, they slur. And that's just because the tongue is frozen. It's a frozen tongue. Yeah, I want to understand if you start feeling good, then that's a bad thing. It might mean oxygen deprivation or something. Feeling good is a very interesting uh, definition when you dive into zero degree water, you know. <laughs> um, no one, uh, if anyone tells you I jump into zero degree water and I feel good, you know, I want, I want, I want to have what they have, you know. Um, yeah. you, you do feel good after a while. I mean, there is time when you feel extremely alive and but generally, like any extreme raw sport, uh, feeling good is not really part of the exercise. It's part of the post-exercise. Uh, you feel really good after, but not during. So you have to learn how to, how to swim and swim well when all the signals that you get are, are not well. Um, and... Yep. I sort of adopted or, or built a mechanism for myself. I, 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 everyone's got his own tricks, but I recommend it to others that when I start to think that hmm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling great, I'm not that focused, I'm not feeling great in the water, um, I feel like I'm losing it, I'm, I'm like a pilot. I've got a checklist in my mind, and I basically talk to myself, which uh, apparently a lot of open water swimming, talk to themselves all the time to make sure that they're okay. And I basically ask myself questions. How's the finger? You know, so I clench my fist, check my stroke. How's my stroke? Okay. My stroke is okay. How's my kicking? Can I kick? Do I, do I know how to kick anymore? Yeah, I can kick. How's my position? How's my breathing? And, and the last thing I, I ask myself is sort of, Ram, are you okay? And, and if the voice coming back saying, no, I'm not, I'm certainly not. I know that I need to, I need to start working towards an exit at some stage because it's coming soon. And if the voice coming back, you know, it's really horrible, but you're fine, then you just carry on swimming. 
Uh, and it's amazing how long you can go on thinking that you are in this extreme discomfort and you come out and you look at your time and you say, wow, actually I swam quite well. I thought I was going to drown, but I actually swam quite well. So you can manage it. You can develop technique, mental and physical, to swim a kilometer and a mile and come out and have done a decent time and survive well, reasonably well, yeah. And the warm-up process afterwards, I understand that can be kind of dangerous if you warm up too quickly, all the cold blood or any of that cold blood that's left in your hands can flow in towards your, your heart, and, heart and lungs and that's not necessarily a good thing. You need to warm up slowly. Yeah, that's the elephant in the room, you know. It's like, um, you know, I've got four kids and everyone have kids every day but no one talks about childbirth <laughs> and how, <laughs> how painful it is. And no one prepares a woman to, for childbirth basically because it's not something you go around and share, you know, you know, guess what I had yesterday, I delivered the baby and it was the most painful, horrible thing ever happened to me. I never want to do it again. You don't. So you rather not talk about it and talk about the wonderful little baby that came out at the end of it. <laughs> uh, so it's in some way, the recovery from ice swim is similar to that. You know, it's in some way, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible and it's a tough process. For me, it's tougher than the swim itself because there's no positive element to this. You, you, you're not swimming. You're not achieving anything. You just have to get your body back to normal. And it can take uh, – I'm one of the lucky ones. I recover very fast relatively to other people. And I train myself very hard. For me, the, the recovery is as much um, – as part of the swim, I train myself to recovery. I learn the recovery. I know what to do. I'm focused. I am my eyes wide open and I ride the recovery like the swim is not finished because I want to get the hell out of that recovery. Yeah. Um, yep. But basically what happens is that you come out of the water, you don't feel the cold. You don't feel anything. You are 100% numb. Um, you are in some form of a capsule because you, you, are, you are so, you've got significantly less oxygen in your brain, in your blood. You're so focused. You're so contracted. Um, um, you have that look in your eye that basically drills through everyone. So you see everything and you see nothing basically when you come out. Um, everything seems to be going fast forward so so people talk too fast every movement seems too fast your skin is very um very uh, vulnerable uh, to anything because it's, it's 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 frozen basically you know and then the yep. body register that um you're warming up and when the body when your brain register that you're no longer in a trauma place uh, the skin sends signal to the brain that it's no longer ice, it's actually warm. The brain starts releasing blood from the core to the extremities. That's called vasodilation. And that's a horrible process because what happens is that the blood, warm blood, 
uh, just go to extremities and it picks up a few blocks of ice on the way back to your heart and to your core. Um, so that, that mixture of warm blood with icy blood levels down your core body temperature to, to a lowest, yeah, it basically reduces, drops your core body temperature very quickly. In a few minutes, it starts dropping um, significantly. And that has its side effects, um, which are quite scary sometimes. They're not as dangerous as people think. You've you got to watch for them. You've got to monitor it. Um, you mustn't accelerate it. You should actually slow it down rather than accelerate it in the beginning because otherwise that after drop, it's not that it's dangerous that you're getting cold because you are in a warm environment and you'll warm up. It is that drop, that sudden drop can be dangerous. And it takes a while for your body to recalibrate itself um, to that. And I'll give you an example. When I did, um, I think I did a shoot for Discovery in Norway and, and, and because it was a Discovery shoot, I had all the gadgets and I had a capsule in my body and they could take my core body temperature at any given time. So when I finished the swim, my core body temperature was about 35.6, which is not a significant drop from normal. When I went, uh, they put me in, a, in the car and then they took me to a shower. It's a cold shower that slowly, slowly you heat up the water. And my core body temperature dropped a degree a minute, just like that. Bang, bang, bang. Wow. 34, 33, 32. They stopped telling me when it was 30. Um, and I needed, um, one of the medics needed to hold me because I wasn't that stable standing up. And then you turn a corner when, and it's not, it's not because your body had warmed up, it's because your brain, uh, your, 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 um, your thermostat and, and your brain adjusted to the rapid change in temperature. When the brain adjusts yeah. to that, you're starting the, re the real recovery. You're still very cold. So when I came out of the shower and I said, guys, I had enough, I'm fine. I got dry, I wanted to get dressed. I remember demanding a glass of whiskey and the doctor said, not yet. Um, my core body temperature was 33 and a, and a half. Wow. It was two degrees yeah. lower than when I finished the swim, but I was fine. I was very cold, but I was completely coherent uh, I could talk, I could chirp, I could laugh, have a conversation. Um, I needed some help to get dressed, but that's just because I'm still rigid. I was fine. Yeah. So there are two processes that happens when you recover is, is the fact that you, you the, the, the core body temperature drops so rapidly, but it's dangerous. That's a dangerous part that you have to be watched and have to be monitored because you can, your body can react to this aggressively, panic basically, the heart or, or whatever your brain. Yep. And, then, the, and yeah. then it's a shock, yeah, basically. It's a, and it's a dangerous shock. Um, and you must, you mustn't accelerate it. 
that's when you said uh, you mustn't um, rush to warm up. You're 100% right. Mistake people do is they jump into a jacuzzi or sauna, uh, rush into a very hot shower. Um, I like to shower, but I give it about five minutes. And then I go into the shower and I start the shower in cold water, basically. And slowly, slowly increase the temperature just a bit by bit all the time. Um, you never get into a hot shower. I don't like jacuzzi or sauna immediately because you go straight into a prescribed temperature of 40 degrees or whatever it is. Uh, I prefer shower because you can control the temperature. Start cold and bring you up to, to heat. I imagine as your nerves start to warm up again, you start to feel things again, it must, it must really hurt. Like your skin must hurt, does it? If, especially if it was too hot. Uh, it, it burns, yeah. So where it really yeah. hurts is your hands, your fingers. You know, the tip of your fingers have, and your toes, got a vast amount of concentration of nerves and small blood vessels. It, this is very painful. So uh, the trick to do it when you go to recovery, to have a bucket, two buckets or one bucket of cold water. Cold water could be just normal tap cold water. And you stick your feet and your hands in there to stop it recovering too quickly, to, to stop the nerves and the blood vessels to explode from cold to, to warm, you know, just, and that really helps to manage that pain. pain. Uh, we learned that in Russia, and it's the best thing to do, to stick your feet and hands in cold water during the recovery. The rest of your body is fine. It's just, there's, there's the pain, which lasts about five minutes. You take it on the chin, knowing that yep. it's going to be okay. There's nothing you can do about it, aside from the pain in other parts, uh, the pain in your private parts. You discover the disadvantage of being circumcised. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, it I recovers. don't think doing it, it nude would be a great well. idea. It, it recovers. Everything recovers. <laughs> The, the real, for me, the scary part is the brain because that that after drop uh, cause havoc to your blood pressure, to your to your to your focus, and you you feel like you are losing control. It's almost like an out of the body experience. Um, I strongly recommend to people don't lie down as much as tempting as it is. Sit down. Sit down. Uh, keep your eyes open. Don't close your eyes as much as you want to just curl, cocoon into the warmth of recovery. Sit up, eyes wide open. Try and look at someone. So if someone recovers you and they look at you, eye contact is quite important because it gives you a focus. You don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm on a trip here out of control. You know, it's, it's, it's a scary part. And it's all in the eyes. It's all in the eyes. When you look at people recovering, um, they look at you and they don't see you. You crack a joke and they don't, you say well done and they don't even smile. They just look at you, straight through you. And after a while, it can take 10 minutes, can take 50 minutes, you suddenly see the eyes looking at you rather than through you. And the first thing I do, I try and crack a joke and when I see a smile, I say, 
Okay. Henry is back. We're good. Alexander is back. Yep. It's fine. They're still very cold and they're still suffering. They're back. And now it's just rewarming. It sounds really uh, tempting, eh? I'm sure you're raring to jump uh, oh, in the eyes now. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not sure where the closest cold water is to me. I think it's up in the snowy mountains. I think there's some cold places in Tasmania and Victoria and Australia, but not too many that get that there are very There are very few, yeah. I'm, I'm planning to come to Tasmania for a swim because I need to do, you know, we have the I-7 where you have to do a, an ice mile in seven continent. And um, so one of them is Oceania. Australia is quite difficult to find accessible place with uh, cold water because it has to be safe enough to to get there and swim and need to get there with a vehicle, a doctor, a boat. So, so yeah, someone mentioned Tasmania, yeah. which uh, sounds very exotic and, 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 and interesting to do an ice mile in Tasmania. So it's on my bucket list, too, my to-do list, come and swim in Tasmania. Even there, I believe it, it's up in the mountains because Tasmania is not... I mean, Tasmania is about as south as New Zealand, I think. It's not that south yes, compared yeah. to, you know, how, th how far things are north. Australia's got some islands down in the Southern Ocean, which are probably pretty cold. Uh, but I don't know how you get there. <laughs> well, you can, go, you can go to New Zealand, but again, it's, it's not very easy to, to communicate with people and tell them, listen... Um, I want to come to Mount Cook and swim by the glacier there a mile. I need a boat and a doctor, and, and they think, why on earth do I want to get involved in this stuff, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of have to find like minds, you know, uh, around the world. That uh, And I found it in Antarctica and in Iceland and in North Pole area. I would say, that sounds awesome. I'd like to be involved in something like this, come and swim, you know? Enough, there's enough mad people out there, plenty, which is wonderful, yeah. So. And so when did you set up the International Ice Swimming Association of mad people? <laughs> frozen meds. Uh, frozen med, frozen <laughs> one. That's usually how I uh, start my emails. Do you med, frozen one? <laughs> I swam in Antarctica in 2008, and I did a kilometer, and when I came back, I knew that I can do more. So a year later... Um, I swam in Lake Zurich with Andrew, my swimming mate, and I went to do three kilometer. We ended up reducing it to about 2.3 the evening before because we realized that even walking three kilometers is long. Um, yeah. It was four degree, air was minus seven, and it was it was a very tough swim. I mean, I after a kilometer and a half, I felt great, but... The last five, six hundred meter, I 
battled with every stroke. Uh, and I wasn't in a good shape when I finished it. I couldn't really talk or walk. So I realized I kind of, okay, so there are some parameters now. Kilometer is doable. 2.3 kilometer is pushing it. Um, and also in all my research, I found so many legends about people who done all sorts of swims in crazy places and done all sorts of, and, and I thought, by that stage, I already had some experience and we've done some stupid things to realize people that claim that they've done four kilometer in, in four degrees or done 10 kilometer in five degrees said, well, um, I'd rather, I'd like to establish something and start documenting all of these records because if someone can do that in my book, they are. So if someone told me I'm a superhuman, I'm just a normal guy in my mind, someone who can swim 10 kilometer in five degrees has to be physically mutant. <laughs> so nice. I, so part of the whole idea was let's start recording all of these crazy swims. And, and I wanted to put some challenge in there and um, I'm kind of a minimalist um, purist, probably part of my attraction to ice. I thought, let's keep it simple, five degrees, one mile, that's it. No assistant, no nothing. You just, just got to put you a smuggler on, goggles and cap, and swim the distance. And that's the jewel in the crown, isn't it? And that, that was in smile. 2009, early 2009, yeah. That's where the ice mile started. I was surprised how fascinated people still are with that. And... Um, and people start, you know, the the, the human nature uh, always uh, attract people that come to these sports for the wrong reasons. Uh, and I can do bigger and better and faster and longer. Yep. And realize it's just a matter of time before the human competition will see how far can I swim before I die. And this, I mean, there's many sports that discovered the limits like that, by the way, you know, yeah. um, how high can we go, how, how deep can we go, etc. Oh, someone died. Okay. Well, we realize that this is dangerous. That's probably a limit. Let's see if someone break it. I didn't necessarily want to create a sport where death is a, a challenge, uh, yeah. more like survival is a challenge. So I created the one kilometer race, um, where, it's a specific distance. It's still a decent distance to swim in, in icy water. And the, the competition can be in speed in one kilometer rather than let's see who can do the first one to do three miles, four miles, five miles, six miles. Oops, let's see who the, who the first one that died in touch with no one died yet. So yep. I'm the kind of person that see a barrier or a limit and I always go to the edge. I'm the one that stand on the ledge, peeping down or to the other side, said, I wonder what's there. Yeah. That's me. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I'd like to jump. I'm curious. <laughs> and it fascinates me because I know that there's plenty places we can go further than that ledge. But one of the things that I've learned in Antarctica 
that a lot of people have a misconception about extreme sportsmen, athletes. They think they are all gung-ho, reckless lunatics. Um, the reality is that if you do any extreme sport, whether it's heli, heli skiing, uh, yep, snowboarding, yeah, yeah. downhill, uh, polar, polar guys, whatever, uh, free climbing, it comes with a huge amount of learning how to manage the risk. Yep. Because otherwise, otherwise everyone's just going to die very quickly. So to do all of these crazy things, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to learn every little aspect before you take the next step and the next step and the next step. Okay. So I'm not afraid of let's go up Mount Everest, but don't be stupid about this. Uh, yeah, you always, I mean, the best part is sitting in the pub with whiskey and talk about yeah, it yeah. after the, you, you want to be there. Is, is that the danger? I know yeah, that, you don't want to. I know that, that, um, that you have a, a world championship, um, and there's one next year in Russia and I, I've read that yeah. you're interested, lucky to be fantastic if it became part of the winter Olympics, but is that a danger, um, if it becomes too popular or? Maybe that's the wrong term, too popular. But if it becomes too big, people will do stupid things. I think it's dangerous. You know, when the car, I actually don't know who invented the car, the first car. But when cars came to become available, although I wasn't there, you can imagine if someone could see the number of cars driving at 100 kilometer an hour or more. Yep, yep. You know, if someone looked at it 100 years ago, he would say, if that happens, someone's going to die every minute because they're all driving so fast, so close to each other. How come they all not collide all the time? I'm just giving one example that came to mind. Mistakes happens. I always said I cannot legislate for stupidity. I can put a lot of parameters and everything, and I can put a rule. Don't be stupid, but I cannot stop people stop from it. being stupid or doing stupid things. Yeah. Yeah. Like any sport, any extreme sport, accident can happen. Touch wood, we didn't have any, in ice swimming, we didn't have any accident. There are some people that realize that uh, the ice is not for them. Uh, their body doesn't react very well to the ice. Uh, their metabolism, their circulation, physics, but that's normal, you know. Not everyone can run or jump or whatever. That, that is an incredible stat that there haven't been any issues or any deaths so far. It must speak to the culture of the sport. People are serious about it, but aren't stupid about it. Yeah, so from the beginning, when I started, when I went for my own swim, I insisted in Antarctica, I insisted that there's a doctor. I insisted, I actually briefed the polar guide and the doctor about the swim. I said, guys, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to swim from there. We worked out on hand signals and, and, and body language and all sorts of parameters uh, to look after me uh, because I can't look after myself really when I'm in the ice. Yep. We had a proper procedure. How do I come out of the water? Where do you take me? What do you do with me? What happens if something goes wrong? Um, and when we... Uh, evolve that we put a lot of procedure in place look in, in countries like you know the, the Arctic countries like Russia and Sweden whatever where 
a lot of people going to the ice, they are very well aware of that. But strange enough, the culture of swimming distance in ice water came to Russia from Cape Town. All right. So to Poland and, and, and a lot of these places, they, yeah, they had one or two lunatic who tried to do some things, but the whole culture of let's swim distances in ice, I'm still fighting to a certain extent with the Winter Swimming Association that doesn't allow longer distances and having rules, you're not allowed to submerge the head underwater. So take off the neoprene from your head and put a second cap, one silicon cap is enough. So there's still a lot of education, but from the beginning, I think when we did the first swim in Siberia in zero degree, and then in Murmansk, we immediately teamed up that no one swims without someone looking after him. Aside from the infrastructure, someone that look after you all the time. So we've got a second, you know, um, every swimmer has a second. Every, it's, it's, a, it's probably significantly more team sport than any other swimming sport because you've got to look after each other. As simple as that. It's not just about speed. It's about something going wrong. And if something going wrong, someone has to jump in, get you out, look after you, know what to do, know you. So um, the culture of looking after each other um, is very much part of the sport. doesn't matter how yep. elite you are. You can swim now. And in three hits time, you look after someone else who might be your competition, but your role is to help him from the dressing room to starting till the end, watching while we swim, make sure that he's okay. So it, it's very much part of the culture. You're 100% right. But to be honest with you, when we had the first world champ in, in Murmansk, 2015, and water temperature was zero, air temperature was... Oh, it was not too bad. It was about minus eight. Uh, it was snowing and I had 50 people racing for one kilometer. I was extremely relieved when the, it was over. So now we've got significantly more experience and understanding, but uh, I have been challenged in the beginning many times. Ram, it's just a matter of time before you're going to kill someone. Ram, it's just a matter of time before... The, you're mad. Someone's going to die. You know, doctors tell me all the time, right, it's just a matter of before someone's going to die. I said, well, same thing about Everest, South Pole, uh, any, any, uh, anyone who does any extreme sport, these things happened. It's not the objective. Uh, but we all know that we are taking risk. It is an extreme sport. But you're 100% right that, that it is... Touch wood, it's a great stat that in, in 2017 at the World Champ in Burghaus in Germany, we had 120 starters for the one kilometer, all in one day, bang, 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 one after the other, coming in, recovery, other ones, doctors. It was like a conveyor belt, and I think the only person that ended up in hospital was someone that didn't wash I think it was she, I can't remember, didn't wash their goggles properly and they had some soap residual in the, in the, inside the goggle and it burned their eyes, which can happen oh, to you in the pool. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah, there are people that, that don't recover as well as the other and require medical attention until they're fully recovered. But that's it's part of the sport. Um, I'm bracing myself for, you know, for things can happen. You know, English Channel, I think people die almost every year now. It doesn't stop anyone. They learn from that. Uh, many times it's mistakes rather than sort of hand of God. It's not the reason why I started the sport. Many times people ask me, Ram, have you got a death wish? I said, no, I've got a live wish. You have no idea how alive I feel in the ice and after the ice. It does come at some price, but I'm still healthy and living and pushing it. Yeah, it's price of feeling alive, you know. I don't feel alive on the couch. <laughs> I feel alive in the water, yeah. At the top end, like the world champion Peter Stoichev, he's like he's a, a, a former Olympian, pretty quick former Olympian champion, isn't he? And his time for a kilometer is twelve minutes, so it's a little bit slower than what they might do in the open ocean, but not that much slower. It's a pretty quick time. Yes, yeah. So what happens now? We're starting to attract faster and faster swimmers, which is natural, because as you know, everyone knows about this. FINA knows about this, the Olympic Committee knows about this, all the Olympic swimmers heard about this, Michael Phelps knows about this, we spoke to him about this, um, maybe one day he'll come. He's too skinny, right? He'd be, he'd be way too skinny. I don't think he's, he's so fast, he's probably not going to touch the water, but anyway. Yeah, maybe that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's married now and kids, so maybe it's time to put on some weight, but, but it is, it has created another section of swimming that allow athletes to excel where they didn't you know top athletes can't be you can't be top athlete in 50 meter 100 meter 800 meter 1500 10 kilometer ice swimming so everyone's got the area of of being top top so the ice created another place where Open water swimmers, because we, we are talking about more distance rather than sprint. People that maybe have a little bit more padding than the skinny zero, whatever, three, four percent body fat the pool swimmer has. They can handle the cold better. So it does, it does allow another area of elite athlete to excel and find a niche. And it also allows athletes like Peter Stoichev and Christoph, and there's few of them around, you know, in the woman one, I think the world record is 13.05. In Murmansk, we're going to see sub-13 for women, 100%. And I believe we're going to see sub-12 for men. Uh, I just don't know who it's going to be. They, they, they done their bit. You know, Peter Stoichev has been in four Olympic Games. He was the reigning world champion, 25-kilometer marathon swimming. And I invited him to Murmansk and almost forced him to 
take part in our 25-meter relay with us, he was shit scared to get into the ice. Yeah. Oh, so he hadn't done it but before. But he got bitten by that bug. Oh, wow. Well, he, in Mombansk, he, I invited him as a, as, a, as a guest. He also became a friend later on, and, and he came to South Africa before that. So I knew him. I invited him come. He tried it. And then I think in Germany, he tried the 200-meter, the 100-meter, then the 200-meter, and he got the hang of it. He realized he can do it. Yeah, and suddenly he discovered another area where he can be a world champion, you know? Yeah. And someone very possibly going to take it away from him in more months because there there's already some fast youngsters that are coming. There's some Olympic swimmers, open water, that I chat to sometime. They're very interested. Their coach wouldn't let them yet get into the ice, so they kind of they're waiting to for the sunset of their yeah. open water Olympic career, open water career to say, okay, well let's uh, let's try the ice, you know? Maybe I can. So it will it will attract. I think at the end of the day, if it gets to the Olympic Games, uh, which I have no doubt, uh, yeah. ice swimming gonna get into Olympic game in some form or another. Fina probably gonna change the rules and hopefully not gonna introduce wetsuits, but. Um, Swimming will get to Winter Olympic game because it's it's just a no-brainer. It, it is so exciting to watch and it is so doable. Is it always open water? Do, do, you, have, do you ever do it in a pool or would, you, would it always be the one kilometre open water? Actually, the, the kilometre race has to be in a pool structure. So either a pool, outdoor pool or a pool cut in the ice, 25 metre, because otherwise you can't compare uh, of course, apples right. and apples, okay. you know, in open water swimming. Yep. So competition in open water do not count for world records. They just, you know, you get your prizes and, and everything yep. for, for that, but you can't. But there are other things that we do in open water, but it's still, you don't tumble turn, you don't dive, you can't push more than five meters underwater, so you don't disappear. So there are quite a few, and the distance of one kilometer, probably equal to, I don't know, five kilometer race, in open water in terms of what your body takes, you know, uh, probably. Is that a safety thing, not going underwater? Uh, if not more. Uh, going underwater for too long, is that yeah. a safety thing? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, because the water is not, Some many times you basically a pool in the river or in the lake and you don't want someone to push and you have to wait for the summer to find them somewhere, you know, yeah. so the tumble turn is a safety issue because you're not, as nearly as much in control, and when you tumble, yeah, okay, because uh, you your 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 blood distribution is very different to warm water. It, it's not even at all, you know. It's, it's distributed in a very specific way. If you tumble turn, you can mess up your 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 blood pressure and and whatever. So the idea is to stay horizontal for the whole time until you finish. Yep. Uh, don't go underwater. I quite like the diving, but I had to. I dive when I do ice miles, always. I'm taught, I don't care if it's minus one. We dive in yep. dry, straight, dry, dive in and swim. But in competition, it's dangerous. There are a lot of people, you don't exactly know what's happening there. And the competition is about speed and safety. And you have a concentration of risk rather than you have one person doing an ice mile where all eyes on one person. So that makes those times even, even better. You know, no diving, barely a push off the wall. Those times are incredible. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's, I mean, diving, 
but especially tumble turns. You know, if you're a swimmer, pool swimmer, if you do a proper tumble turn and in a 25-meter pool, you do 40 lengths for a kilometer, so you've got 39 turns, a dive in 39 turns. That's a significant time bonus if, if you do it properly. So, but, but what's interesting is that the guys learn how to do open water. Uh, so the open water technique is improving significantly. People turn and have a very strong push off the wall. So they're not losing as much as one would think. The, the professional one, someone like Peter Stoich or Christoph, they don't lose much on the, t on the turn. Uh, the amateur athletes or probably would lose some time, yep. more time when they turn. Uh, yeah, especially if it's if you're racing in a 25 meter pool. Yeah, that's, that's a really big part of the the swim. So next year is in is in Russia. How many how many uh, countries do you think you'll have represented, and and how many athletes? I don't know how many countries in total because there will be people that coming to do just a short distances. So yeah, probably about thirty countries. Uh, you know, even even Morocco is training to get some athlete for the, that. Yeah, Morocco for the Murmansk World Champ. Um, Morocco, I've been, you know, I'm doing the, I'm, I'm doing the ice cream in Lesotho Mountain in June here in South Africa. So I've been approached by swimmers from Ghana who wants to. That's fantastic. Fascinated by that. So, you know, Eddie the Eagle or, or uh, Cool Running, there will, be, there will be the odd people from remote countries. The core will come from, from Russia, Great Britain, Germany, Ireland, Holland. Poland, Czech, Cold you know, places, from yeah. America. It, it has a, it has a massive. It's, it's got a massive growth potential. It's, we, we are so. Still in startup, mode. You know, a lot of people think that it's big and everything. It's still, it's still very much a startup. But. Yeah. I'm, I'm not in a rush. You know, it's not Google where I'm, there to make billions of dollars. Um, so far, I haven't made a cent, um, and it's probably going to cost me more. No, I can't imagine this is a money-making <laughs> yeah. scheme. No, and, and going to Antarctica is not cheap. Going to <laughs> so, Antarctica um, yeah. is not cheap. Luckily, I, it doesn't cost me a thing because I'm the expedition leader in organizing it. But I, I actually, it's, it's a new thing that I would like to start, uh, expand into ice swimming adventures. So it's kind of... The Antarctica, going to Antarctica is kind of my thing rather than International Ice Swimming Association event. Although we're going to have a race and everything, but it's me. And um, I am blown by the demand. I'm taking 38 people to Antarctica in November. 18 of them are going to swim one kilometer. We have no idea where we're going to swim, but we have all the logistics and we will find a place to swim. And I've, I've been there twice, so, so I kind of know what, uh, what needs to be done. And obviously we have doctors and, and Zodiac, every swimmer will have a Zodiac and, and etc. So it's unbelievable 
I think there's already uh, people entering the 2019 one. It's it, I think it may become kind of an Everest thing for swimmers, you know, to to come yeah, back and yeah. say, I swam in Antarctica. Proper swim, not, you know, not a polar deep or, or not, just jumping yeah, in. not just jumping in and jumping out. I swam one kilometer in Antarctica. This is my time. This is the video clip. This is the pictures. This is the certificate. This is the medal. It's something, you know, you tell your grandchildren and they look at you like, my God, I didn't realize granddad was so... You know, has no marbles left, anything like that. So, <laughs> but it will be amazing. And I can't wait for Antarctica. It is, Antarctica changed my life. I can't, I can't explain it in any other words. I can't explain it. You have to go there yep. Yep. to understand Antarctica. It's literally like going to another planet. It's so remote and hostile and everything. It's it's one of these things. It's expensive, and but but it's not something people do on a regular basis. You know, it, it's it's something that people may do once in a lifetime. And most people that go, amazingly, not going by themselves, as expensive as it is, the partner, whether it's the husband or the wife or the partner, say, "Well, you're not going to Antarctica on your own." Yeah, that's right. Let's yeah, find. I'm Let's let's go find the money underneath the other mattress, and here we go. And and I'll tell you one thing: for ninety nine, I don't know if I think everyone will. It will blow everyone's mind. It's not for everyone. It is remote. It's extreme. There are no shopping malls. There is no TV. There is no. Anything. It is so remote, yeah. so hostile, so different. For me, it blew my mind and I fell in love with it. I hope that the people that come there are going to do that to them as well. And if it will, it's worth every penny spent. You know, This is why I'm going the third time and next year the fourth time. And I told my kids that uh, when I have enough money, I'm taking my four kids to Antarctica because... That will yeah. change their lives. Much more exciting than Las Vegas to me. Yeah. <laughs> do they swim as well, or do they think you're nuts? Mm. First of all, they think I'm nuts. But they used to, <laughs> yeah. so they kind of, you know. Uh, I think tomorrow we're swimming around Cape Point. Some of us yep. about ten kilometer Cape of Good Hope. You know, my kids usually find out about this on Facebook. Say, "Oh, Dad, I heard you done this. Oh, Dad, I heard you done this. Where are you going, Dad? I'm going to Iceland for a swim." Okay. You know, it's, it's, um, they kind of got used to me traveling around the world. I try and drag them around with me. Um, and they love it just to maybe get the feel for my passion. Yep. Um, and they love nature. None of them is a swimmer. They all can swim and love water, but none of them is a swimmer. They all got their own sport, you know, one horses, one is a mountain trail runner, one rowing, the other one is hockey. But I started at the age of 40, so no rush. Yeah. That's, have, you done all, have you done all of your long-distance swimming since 40, or did you do uh, open water swimming before that? Look, I, I grew up by the water, so I was waterproof for years yep. uh, in terms of it was a lake and I used to do scuba diving, windsurfing, sailing. So all of these things that 
you've got to be very comfortable in the water and you have to swim sometimes distances. But I wasn't a swimmer. The first time I got into a pool was in Hong Kong. I was working in Hong Kong because I damaged my two knees and I thought, okay, let's do swimming. I hated it. I could barely do two laps. Then I came to South Africa. I was 40 years old and I joined master swimming. It's the first time in my life that I trained in a squad, basically trained, had a training session. And I think probably 41, 42, 41, probably I did my first open water swim ever. Yeah. So I'm kind of got used to it. It's that every swim I do now, I'm the oldest man <laughs> that <laughs> does that. <laughs> you know, swam five kilometer this morning. Tomorrow we have a Cape Point, probably about eight, nine kilometer group of us. It's one of these sports that if you're careful, you can do until the day you go, you know. And if I can, I will. Well, there, yeah, there, there are men and women in their 90s doing ocean swims through Sydney in summer. I think you certainly wouldn't be old for oh. Sydney ocean swims. So um, it's a very strong competitive age group. Maybe not the 90s so much, but they do exist. But certainly around 60. Are you serious? Because my, my strategy... My strategy was to carry on swimming. I'm kind of used to get gold medals now because not many in my age group. So you're saying that the 80 to 90 is a very competitive age group in Australia. I'm not coming there. <laughs> there's a few. There's a few. Well, well, no, I know. There's a, there's a lot of strong Australian swimmers. I know. I know. It's a lot of competition between South African and Australian swimmers. Yeah. And I'm only a couple of years off 40, so I guess that means I need to start thinking about doing an ice swim at some point. No rush. <laughs> no rush. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that I tell people, don't... I mean, look, if you're a very good swimmer, a good athlete, you want another tick on your belt, not on your belt, sorry, train, do an ice swim, get it over and done with and move on. I never swam for the medals or the notch on my belts or I actually really loved swimming as simple as that, you know, um, yep. it's what I really enjoy doing. And so if you're a swimmer, I say, no rush, get into it. it you know, get, get into the cold water, learn the cold water, um, let the ice call you rather than come there rah, rah, I can do it. Because I've seen some people, very strong, very strong swimmers, much stronger than me, that came into the ice and it broke them. Yeah. they done the English Channel, North Channel, and they done amazing swim, but they came to the ice and it broke them because they, they came to prove something. You can't prove anything to the ice. The ice always win. It's simple as yeah. that, okay? So you've got to... You're going to respect the ice. You're going to learn how to wait. Yeah, get into the cold and wait for the ice to call you. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen and learn how to do that. Baby steps. So you also want it to be a positive experience rather than uh, I've done that. Never, ever want to put my toe in anything below 16 ever again. Because why? Why, why this is not I didn't invent or created that sport for people who seek punishment they are much more established institutions that offer these kind of things yes that's right that's, 
<laughs> you can find them if you need to. <laughs> if you if you're desperate, you can find them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> thanks very much for joining us on this edition of the pod, and thanks very much to Ram Barkai founder of the International Ice Swimming Association for taking so much time to chat to me. That was pretty cool. If you'd like any more information on anything that you heard today, get over to our website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And if you do decide to go and swim in the ice or do an ice mile, please let me know. Maybe one day I'll join you. Maybe. Maybe. Oh,